0: We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir.
0: Still recording way ahead, so not sure if any stickers are still available for the 2021 Bad Magic Production Stickers Street Team Contest. Yesterday at noon, 500 free sticker packs went live at badmagicmerch.com. Check the store quick. To see if any are available, if you are interested, first come, first serve, uh, slap them all over, help spread your favorite STD and take a pic, post it on Instagram or Facebook with the hashtag Bad Magic Street Team for a chance to win $200 in merch.
1: In merch.
0: Not just cash. Get reposted on our socials and help us grow a little podcast network.
1: It was really hard not to make that hashtag like, spread the STD or anything mm-hmm. around that. But yeah. it had to be for the whole, for the whole network. So late.
0: But we can say spread the uh, your, your favorite say, STD spread here. It.
1: Spread the, spread it.
0: Uh, another quick reminder, we gave over $14,000, thanks in large part to our Patreon subscriptions of our Roberts and Annabelle's, to the August Bad Magic Productions charity, the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Hopefully, just uh, as we're recording this in the past, hopefully fires are... Getting put out.
1: God, I hope so. Uh,
0: this foundation provides emergency support services to the families of firefighters seriously injured or killed in the line of duty and so much more. Go to wffoundation.org to learn more. And uh, and that's it again. Zipped right through the announcements again yip, to get yip, to the. To get, yip Yip yaw, to get to the scares.
1: I smashed my toe on the edge of the you desk. You did right as right. you sat down. <laughs> Boom. There's like a hard corner under here and I just really. Really connected with it.
0: <laughs> uh, do you have two stories again this week?
1: Well, Dan. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes? I have three. Oh. Oh. Oh,
1: three stories. Oh, check me out. Uh, yes, my first story is actually like really sweet. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not at all scary to me. I just love it as a confirmation of okay. what in those. my opinion, on the other side. I have a story. Uh, we've had two other LDS missionary stories mm. before, so we have one more. I love those. I love them. And the author even... Outside of the story, just said, like, man, I think this is such a source of untapped material. I was like, well, mm. I think you're correct. And then uh, a dream about, like, uh, a dream, a story about a dream, premonition, haunted house, like, what? Mm-hmm. So pretty pretty cool and pretty intense.
0: Okay. Those sound uh, very entertaining.
1: They are, And they will be.
0: I have two uh, bigger ones again this week. Uh, again, both that I love. Uh, the first one involves the creepy urban legend of Pennsylvania's seven gates of hell. Two teens sneak out late at night to see if the terror really does ratchet up gate to gate, hoping to make it to the ruins of an old asylum whose destruction a century and a half ago seems to have poisoned the ground.
1: Have we been there before in this show?
0: Nope. Uh, we've talked about other, uh, like, hellmouths okay. and things. Yeah, but this is a different—there's a variety of places that These claim to kinds be of hell portals, hell gates and stuff. Okay, this is a new okay.
1: one. I was immediately like, what?
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see the deja vu there. Uh, the second story involves a 90s hip-hop and R&B legend. Oh,
1: I'm already into this. Who?
0: I'm not going to tell you. You'll find Dang out soon. It. And her teen daughter being haunted by what have been may have been the ghost of a child actress murdered by her father in the same neighborhood years earlier. What? This is a wild story, yeah. Okay. Normally not a big fan of trigger warnings, but the ending of the second story today is a lot rougher than the kind we've become accustomed to hearing here. Okay. Since the backstory does involve a father murdering his daughter. Oh. So, if that's something you just don't want to hear about on a ghost story podcast, skip that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, plenty of time to settle into this first story during the setup. Well, uh,
1: well Dan, I'm already settled in because we're doing back-to-back recordings. We are. I did pop out, though.
0: I know. I like that. I'm already in, like, scared-to-death mode. Oh, you switched socks? Change okay.
1: socks. Okay. Okay. So, I'm committed to the socks.
0: <laughs> All right. I like it. If
1: nothing else, I've got the socks. Here we go. All right. Let's do it.
0: One of Pennsylvania's most well-known urban legends is that of the Seven Gates of Hell, featured in several books and inspiring a 2012 independent horror movie by the name of Toad Road. The Seven Gates of Hell are allegedly located near the small town of Hellam in York County, Pennsylvania. There's a rumor that Hellam was once actually called Hell back in the 18th century when the township was formed due to a large sulfur pit on the outskirts of town, the boiling, brimstone-inspiring visions of Hell. And off of Helm's Trout Run Road, which runs out of town and into the surrounding countryside, a road supposedly originally named Toad Road, <laughs> is a long trail, formerly an old road. The woods have kind of overgrown around it, okay. le- leading deep into a huge piece, of pro- huge piece of private property barred by an iron gate. No trespassing signs are posted near the gate. If you were allowed in and able to continue down the trail, you would, according to this legend, come to another gate, and then another, and then another and so on until you had passed a total of seven gates called the Seven Gates of Hell. Got it. How did this piece of property get such a peculiar and devilish name? The story goes that in the early 1800s, a physician's house was located near the first gate. Further down the trail was a remote compound used for a brief time as an asylum for the insane, criminal, and otherwise, and also the simply unwanted. The remote location of the asylum was intended to help locals feel safe, far removed from the oftentimes dangerous insanity within. However, this desired effect was never achieved due to rumors of frequent escapes, some of which led to rapes, assaults, even murders. Most of these supposed escapes and violent crimes were probably just baseless rumors, but the accumulation of these stories, true or not, led the residents of Helm to feel you know, frightened of the asylum and its residents. Then one night, the last night of the asylum's existence, a fire broke out in the facility. The fire department was called, but they couldn't get there fast enough. The local volunteers struggled up the rural road that felt more like a trail even back then with their heavy equipment. The fire quickly turned into a horrific tragedy. There wasn't enough staff to both get all the patients out and supervise the dangerous ones who were getting out. Oh, no. An untold number of patients ended up roaming the woods unsupervised while over a hundred burned to death. The stench of death reportedly blanketed the township for days. After the fire was finally put out by the fire department, many of the local residents went about trying to round up the remaining wandering patients. My God. And some, when found, had no interest in being apprehended. They resisted. Fights broke out. Fights that led in some cases to more deaths. Some of the escaped patients were killed by locals who had no interest in capturing them alive. They wanted them gone. They didn't want to worry about some violent, criminally insane person escaping again, and they dished out what they felt was vigilante justice murdering whomever they found. It's like the fucking purge. Mm-hmm. According to legend, after all this fire and violence and a futile attempt to assure the locals a new asylum would be much safer for everyone, the doctor who went a little who went a little mad over all this... decided to build a series of gates along the road in order to keep out future patients in or in order to keep any future patients in and any curious visitors out. But due to so much opposition, the new asylum would not be built. Only the ruins of the first one and the gates now remain. And now an urban legend states that due to all the death and destruction in the air, all the grief and fear and evil acts that had raged through the woods, the road of gates became an actual pathway to hell or at least a stretch of very evil land. Or is this all nothing more than just a bunch of lore? Supposedly, some who have trespassed claim to have found the gates, and they've reported that as you pass through each gate, an ominous feeling of dread intensifies.
1: Well, yeah.
0: According to legend, once you pass through the seventh gate, you arrive in hell itself. Obviously, this can come across as pretty far-fetched, which is partially what led two local teens named online as Jay and Monica to do some trespassing and exploring several years ago. They weren't really worried until, of course... They were. Mm -hmm. Time now for the tale of the seven gates of hell. Jay and Monica both took great care to quietly sneak out of their houses and meet up that night. They knew that if their parents caught them, it might be the end of a lot of their hanging out alone together. Both their families were pretty conservative, and as they were both 14, neither were allowed to date yet. And to be clear, they weren't dating. They didn't like each other like that, but everyone sure thought they did. Both were considered attractive, both were outgoing and well-liked, and they got along great and hung out with each other more than they hung out with anyone else. So they must be dating, right? No. But their parents constantly checked in to see if they were, as did their friends. But again, they just didn't see each other that way. But because of all this, if they wanted to hang out alone at night, they had to sneak out. It'd be funny if it wasn't so annoying. If Jay was a girl or Monica was a boy, they could have went on their Seven gates adventure, uh, out on their Seven Gates adventure no problem. Or or maybe not, it was illegal to trespass, but at least he could have snuck out from the same sleepover. Now they had to coordinate a little more. Shortly before their big Seven Gates night, both of them had gotten really into horror movies, spooky books, creepypastas, horror podcasts, all this stuff. And they become more and more interested in going on a kind of ghost hunt and trying to find proof of some kind of ghost, demon, or otherworldly entity. And then Jay heard about the Seven Gates of Hell, less than 10 miles from York where he and Monica lived, right next to Hellum, not far at all when you're fast on a bike. How cool to explore the remnants of the old burned-down asylum that supposedly lied just past the sixth gate. They were both pumped to check it out. The two met up at a park in between their houses at 11.30 p.m. on a Friday night. Both sets of their parents were always sound asleep by no later than 11. This gave them plenty of time to make it to the sixth gate by the witching hour of 3 a.m. If something was going to happen, they figured that would be the best time for it. So they pedaled away in the dark until they made it to the first gate. On the way there, they talked about what they might encounter, a ghost, a demon, what they'd do if they saw it. Ride away as fast as they could? Try and take a video with their phones first? Tell it to go back to hell? Yeah, right, they laughed. They'd be way too freaked out for that. They debated the possibility of hell existing or not, and if it did, how some random place in Pennsylvania could supposedly transport you there. They wondered if the asylum was even a real place or if the whole story was nonsense. They wanted if some farmer with a gun telling them he had, uh, he, that he shot trespassers would be the most terrifying entity they'd encounter. They both decided that best case, they'd see a ghost. Maybe the ghost of one of the old patients. They'd see it, it would do something scary like scream at them. They'd get that on video. Then maybe when they were a little older and not so worried about getting in trouble, they'd show the video to some ghost hunter show's TV producer, get interviewed, get on the show, and be way more famous than anyone else in their class. <laughs> they joked about all sorts of stuff. Half joked. Now that they were at the gate, they hid their bikes and decided to walk down the trail that was once a road a long time ago. They wouldn't even need to use the lights on their phones. It was almost a full moon. One of the reasons they picked this Friday night to do it. And it was a really clear night. After climbing up and over the first gate, it took long, uh, so long to get to the second gate that they started to think that there were no seven gates. And they began to consider calling the whole thing off and heading back to their houses. But then, there it was. The second gate. Huh. At least part of the legend was true. Once they'd climbed over the second gate, they expected to hear something as they walked to the third. Strange night noises, whispers, a child's creepy laugh, something. But they didn't hear anything. Now they worried that there would be seven gates, but there would be nothing supernatural about any of them. Then between the second and the third gate, they started to feel something. Jay spoke about it first. Do you feel that? Yes, Monica's eyes lit up like something watching us. Right? Totally, that's exactly it. They weren't scared yet—not much anyway. Mostly excited. They'd risk getting in a lot of trouble with their parents to see something paranormal, and now it felt a whole lot more possible than it had a few minutes before. The feeling of something watching them continued as they proceeded to approach the third gate. They talked about how, according to legend, things were supposed to escalate from gate to gate. They wondered what might happen between gates three and four or if they were just imagining that feeling of being watched and getting themselves all worked up over nothing. After climbing over the third gate, Monica was now the first to speak. Do you see that? Watching us from over there on the left, she pointed. Eyes, right? Said Jay and they both got the chills. Yes, they both were looking at what seemed to be a set of glowing eyes watching them from the brush off to the left. Way off in the distance, the eyes looked a lot like how Deer's eyes look when someone's headlights hit them but not nearly as harmless somehow. It's kind of freaking me out, said Monica. Yeah, yeah, me too, said Jay, as he kept his eyes on whatever was watching them. Without even really realizing it, they both moved towards each other, walking as close as a couple would if they were holding hands. The fourth gate. Neither were all that happy to see it. Both had started to hope that there were no seven gates, that it was all just urban legend. They both began to worry about how much worse things could get. After climbing over the fourth gate, Monica spoke first again. "'It's too quiet.' "'I know,' whispered Jay. "'And look,' he pointed. "'Monica didn't need to remind him the eyes were still there, still following them. "'And it was way too quiet. "'The noises they themselves made were the only noises they heard, "'the sound of their footfalls and their own increasingly anxious breathing. "'They talked about it and couldn't remember what noises they'd heard earlier "'that they weren't hearing now. "'Bugs? The wind? The distant droning of the occasional truck, maybe? "'Whatever they'd been hearing, it was gone now. "'Way too quiet.' And there were those eyes, whatever was out there that was still following him. Were they a bit closer now? And the feeling of being watched, it just never went away. Of course it wasn't going away. It was coming from those eyes. The fifth gate. When they got to the fifth gate, Jay said what they were both thinking. Get the fuck out. Should we just go back? Monica looked at her phone. It was just past 1 a.m. They hadn't been out that long. But she was getting pretty scared. What if those things looked like eyes with eyes of a bear or something? I mean, who knows what could be out there tracking them? But then she surprised Jay and herself actually with her answer. No, no, let's just go at least to the sixth gate. We made it this far. I want to see if we can see the ruins from there. Okay, said Jay. Yeah, okay, cool. Sorry, just, just getting a little freaked out. But yeah, no, that would be cool. All right, said Monica, let's go. She put her hand on his and was surprised by, he was surprised by a tingling in the pit of his stomach that wasn't from fear. Did he like Monica only as a friend? She continued. Who wouldn't get freaked out right now? It's okay. I guess that's what we came here for, right? Jay nodded. He was suddenly self-conscious about his voice, afraid it would crack or something if he spoke. They climbed over the fifth gate, and not more than a minute after walking past it, Jay hit the ground. Oof! What the hell? He yelled. Are you okay? Yelled Monica back. What happened to you? Did you- Ah! She flew to the ground as well. And since he was watching her when she was pushed, Jay saw the shadow whiz past that did it. Oh. Did you see that? He yelled, voice definitely cracking. And then he began to whip his head back and forth as he got up frantically, trying to locate what had pushed her. See what? Said Monica as Jay put her, uh, uh put on his, or grabbed his, grabbed her hand and helped her to her feet. Something just knocked me down. Me too, said Jay. They were still holding hands. Both were aware of this. Neither cared. The eyes, said Jay, they're still over there. His voice was shaking. Now, let's hurry. Let's just get to the sixth gate as fast as we can. See what we see. And let's get the hell out of here. Okay, said Monica, her voice shaking as well. They picked up their pace, almost running, scanning the night around them, looking for the shadow thing. There, Monica yelled, pointing. There's that thing. She pointed at some kind of shadow man with another set of those glowing eyes off to the right. Now there were two sets of eyes. Oh,
1: get the fuck out.
0: One on each side. Jay was about to say, the hell with this, let's go back, when they saw the sixth gate. They both wanted to leave and leave fast to run back to their bikes, pedal like they'd never pedaled before, back to the safety of their rooms, but they also were so curious about what may lie ahead. If they were seeing this now, what would they see just another hundred feet or so ahead? The sixth gate. Are you sure? Asked Jay. Yeah, let's just do it. Let's just be quick. Get your phone ready, Monica said. They talked about trying to take videos already, but in the dark, a set of glowing eyes, is just going to look like deer eyes or nothing at all. A shadow won't show up, but something more intense might. Jay climbed over first, quickly turned back around, facing the gate to help Monica down. When he began to turn around, facing away from the gate after she hit the ground to see what surprises this new stretch of trail, held, held his, her scream, made him just about jump out of his skin, and then he matched it with his own. There must have been a hundred sets of glowing eyes in front of them. Some of their figures only shadows, but some of the closest ones, the ones moving towards them now, they could see their faces, their bodies. Most look burnt, melted flesh, oozing wounds, torn and charred clothes. Others were unburnt but mangled with bent and broken necks like they'd been violently hanged. All of them look malevolent. All of them seem to be coming directly for them. Both knew if these things made it to them, they wouldn't just let loose with a scary scream. They'd grab them. They'd hurt them. If that shadow thing could push them before this gate, these things would probably do a whole hell of a lot more. Neither wanted to find out exactly how much more. Go, go, go! Yelled Jay. Monica was already halfway back over the gate when he started yelling. Come on, she screamed! It's gonna grab you! As Monica made it over, Jay did scream, No! One of the things grabbed his calf as he tried to swing his leg over the top of the gate. He looked back and was face to face with his pulsating, bleeding, mangled mask of gore. It was grinning, and his eyes, those glowing eyes, they were rotten, full of insanity and hate. And then Jay felt Monica pulling him backwards. He tumbled, landed flat on his back, the wind rushing out of his lungs as he hit the ground. He wasn't breathing for the moment, but he'd made it to the other side of the sixth gate. Get up, Jay! Monica screamed. We have to run now! Jay got up as best he could and stumbled along as Monica led him by the hand. Soon, full of so much adrenaline, he was running as well. And then Monica went airborne ahead of him and fell face down on the ground. That shadow, Ooh. it was back. Now he's picking her up and yelling, run, come on. He helped her up and they ran two sets of eyes following them, not knowing when the shadow might return. They climbed back over the fifth gate, one set of eyes watching them now. Too much quiet. The combo seemed like a walk in the park. Now they kept running. They climbed over the gates until there were no more eyes. They ran all the way back to the first gate and climbed over it as well, holding hands the whole way. And then when they made it over the first gate, Monica burst into tears with relief and fear. What the hell were those things? She screamed. I don't know. Ghosts? Demons, he said as he held Monica. He was shaking too. So much for that video, he said. I forgot we even talked about that before the last gate, Monica said. I'm so glad we're alive. I literally thought we were going to die. Me too, said Jay, still holding her. He hated what it took to get to this moment, but this moment was pretty amazing. Before they got back on their bikes and pedaled to their houses, Jay knew two things for certain. He knew he would never go back to the seven gates of hell to look for ghosts, and that he definitely liked Monica, more than a friend.
1: <laughs> that's a cute <laughs> ending. Ah, yeah, eek. That's a nice little reprieve from whatever yeah, the little, fuck is out there. A little mix of that was really intense.
0: Mm-hmm. Just like the building of that legend, yeah. we're supposed to build from gate to gate. I I really uh, was drawn to that part of the story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I dig that, Ugh. and I like that it worked in reverse as well on their way out. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like. Two sets of eyes, one set of eye, one set of eyes in silence, like... More mm-hmm, weird, weird thing. Yeah. That would be like a great haunted house. Mm-hmm. Haunted, like, yeah. haunted hayride, mm-hmm. Haunted something, mm-hmm. you know, like...
0: Things like built in a certain way.
1: Uh, you know, how cool would that be if you had a haunted house where it was just like a path, just yeah. like a wide driveway type thing with the seven gates mm-hmm. and... Nothing could come into the gate path, so you were almost like in each little section. You were almost like penned in for yeah, safety, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that like the characters couldn't get you. Right. But it, with each one that you it built, yeah, like and if you mm-hmm. were really strategic about it, and like you know, spotlights so you could see different things, create different shadows. That would be so dope.
0: Yeah, if you knew it was going to get significantly worse after mm-hmm. each gate, mm-hmm. that would be a fun build.
1: But the the security of knowing that. It couldn't touch you. Oh, it would be so cool if it was, like, enclosed in plexiglass, mm-hmm. air holes that you could breathe. But then, like, characters can be on top, like, trying to, like, reach in and get you. <laughs> but not really. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can
1: make a great haunted house. <laughs>
0: uh, a couple pictures. This first one is the that first gate off of Trout Run Road outside of Hellam, Pennsylvania. Oh,
1: it's just a like a fence. Mm-hmm. I had something way more elaborate in my brain, like I a think big that's the wrought one. iron. Well,
0: and there were pictures of those, too. But they seemed like – I'm like, I don't know. Is this – this was from TripAdvisor. I mean, I haven't been there. So there were other gates that were more decorative and looked a little spookier. But but I wasn't as confident in that. I don't know.
1: Well, and maybe in time people um, vandalized them or stole them or just, you know, whatever. So maybe they were just replaced with something less expensive.
0: Uh, This next one, ruins of a mid-18th century furnace located just outside of town. You know, those kind of furnaces that supposedly got like hellum-
1: Oh, name. yeah. Well, I guess it's the
0: sulfur spring. Sorry. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But there's also that's these furnaces. Weird.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and Do those then,
1: exist? I,
0: those ruins of old furnaces?
1: Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just so weird. I don't Old, feel...
0: old metal workers?
1: hmm So bizarre. I just feel like I've never heard of that.
0: Yeah. Like old blacksmiths, blacksmiths and things? Like uh, making things, you know, for early settlers?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Um and then this uh last pick here, this is a Toad Road movie poster and this That's kind of cool. this kind of adds to the lore about this. The lead character of Sarah, played by an actress Sarah Ann Jones, um, in this movie becomes obsessed with the idea of Toad Road, a road that possesses seven gates, rumored to lead directly to hell. And when exploring this road with a friend, she disappears. Sarah plays a delusion young woman often strung out on drugs in the movie, and then tragically, just after this film premiered, no. she dies of a heroin overdose. No at the age of twenty
1: four. Oof. Yeah. Always tragic, but worse when it's someone so young. hmm Wow. I wonder if the, I wonder if she was an addict before the yeah, movie. Don't know. Or if the movie, like. Messed with her. Yeah, like when you think about like Heath Ledger and the Joker. Mm-hmm. People talk about like how that
0: is. It was shot very raw. I will say it's some interesting stuff. Supposedly, like there was a scene where her character was supposed to be on ecstasy. Mm-hmm. And she was on ecstasy like for the scene, like things uh, like that.
1: Not a huh? great choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we should maybe add Toad Road to a, future TLA watch party?
0: I will say r- maybe.
1: Not great reviews?
0: Not great reviews. Womp womp. It sounds pretty artsy, but not necessarily scary. Like, interesting art. Like, yeah. Elijah Wood ended up help getting it distributed. Yeah. But I, d- I don't know that it sounds actually that scary.
1: Mm, fair. Yeah. Okay, fine. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I regret my suggestion.
0: Are you ready to leave Pennsylvania and head to California?
1: no yes take me to the sunshine
0: this is for the haunting of someone i'm guessing you used to listen to a bunch before we mix some nostalgia with some spooks time for today's sponsor break thanks for listening Creep some peepers we are back uh some fun setup for this story
1: yes tell me everything i'm so excited
0: tion watkins do you remember that do you remember that name is that tlc oh good job Oh, for Tian Watkins. Yeah, that's T-Boz. Yeah. yeah Tian Watkins, a.k.a. T-Boz, uh, lead singer, one-third of TLC, very T-Boz, pop-
1: left eye, and Chili. Nice. Yeah. How do you not know?
0: Well, I wasn't, I mean, as into TLC, but I was aware of them. <laughs>
1: they were hot. What's wrong with <laughs> they you? They were
0: very hot. Chili they, especially. Actually,
1: I, yeah, is one of them passed away. Chili has
0: held up, I by the, think. Yeah, one of them has, left eye passed away. Left eye, yeah, the yeah, car ch- accident. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I want to uh, say,
1: this is so random. South America, I think. Does t Boss have sickle cell anemia? She does I just... You know a lot about t Listen, listen. No, I remember...
0: She's become a big advocate for yes, awareness about sickle yes, cell.
1: Because I remember like, you know, I was young and they were popular mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she was an advocate then and I didn't realize it was something that plagued the African-American community mm-hmm, significantly. Mm-hmm. It's something, you know, like you go to the doctor and they're checking you out for like scoliosis, right? There's yeah. things that come up on your radar. There's certain diseases Because, that are, mm-hmm. yeah, so that are, you know, inherently like men are more prone to heart disease, whatever, right? right? And
0: certain ethnicities uh, mm-hmm. can carry... And sickle cell is, yeah, yeah, a bad one for the African-American community.
1: Also... Don't go chasing waterfalls. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The the movie, The Other Guys. Uh, Have you ever seen it?
0: uh, no, actually. Oh my God. It's
1: so funny because Michael Keaton (laughs) is in it and he plays the police chief. And he he'll he'll say, like he'll in conversation, he uses little snippets of their song. Funny. As like a little golden nuggets of truths. He's like, no, listen.
0: Don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't go chasing
1: waterfalls. (laughs) And it is so funny. Ah,
0: that's awesome. I just see that. But yeah, oh, and I was going to say that Rosanda Chili uh, Thomas, she looks, it's weird how much the same she looks. She's like 50, 51. Uh-huh. She looks no older than 30.
1: Oh, so her and JLo, great.
0: Mm hmm. And she's, fuckin she's fucking ripped. I bet. Yeah.
1: And still hot. She is. Again, her and JLo, go fucking <laughs> Uh
0: Okay, so yeah, uh, most popular American girl group of the last half century TLC was T, you know, Tion T Boss Watkins, L was Lisa Left Eye Lopez, and C was Rosanda Chili Thomas. Some of their most famous songs, Waterfalls, uh, Creep, No Scrubs. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. And uh, I remember girls singing that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Tion. I remember singing it about like ex-boyfriends. Yeah. Mm, oh, No Scrubs. <laughs> uh, and Tion appeared on the Lifetime channel. It's like also
1: when you're like 14 <laughs> and that has no relevance to your life. Right. Oh, I remember one of my childhood girlfriends yeah. and I, when you could record yourself on a tape recorder. Oh, like, yeah. For... People who are listening. Do you guys who... sing
0: No Scrubs together?
1: Oh, yeah. We would like record ourselves mm-hmm. singing it. We That's were like, voice so in cool. Mind. Uh, oh, fucking yeah. Jason's such so a scrub. Oh, weird that you used my brother's name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tian appeared in the Lifetime Channel paranormal TV series, The Haunting of, back in 2016, to talk about a supernatural encounter that changed her life forever. Tian told the show's host, medium Kim Russo, that she experienced a strange haunting in a townhouse she rented in Calabasas, California.
1: Where the Kardashians live, yes.
0: Mm -hmm. In her words, a spooky place. Her experiences there were so intense and terrifying, she and her daughter actually GTFO'd after living there just a few months.
1: She's a genius.
0: when her episode was filmed, it had been four months since she and her daughter had left. She wanted to know what spirits remained there so she could face them and remove them from her life forever. On January 4th, the Haunting of team interviewed Tion. This is her story. Time now for the tale of the haunting of T from TLC. Before she moved to California, Tian lived in Atlanta and her, with her daughter, Chase. And later, Tian and Chase would connect all their paranormal problems to one of Chase's childhood friends. Chase had made a close friend in her kindergarten class, another little girl who lived nearby. They were the best friends for years. As a young teenager, Chase would often FaceTime her friend, and she noticed strange things happening in her friend's house. Once she saw a shadow man walk behind the girl, oh. Chase told her, hey, someone's behind you. Her friend turned around, saw nothing. She thought Chase was playing a joke on her. Chase told her mom about what she saw, but Tian just told herself at the time, okay, she's got uh, hookie pooky stuff going on at her house. That's just kids being kids. Hokey-pokey? H-O-O-K-E is the way it's written, but maybe it's supposed to be hokey. I, th- I thought it was like hooky-pooky, her saying hooky pookie. Okay. Not long after this incident, Chase and Tian moved to California, rented a townhouse in Calabasas. At first, Tian was happy to be there, mostly, but she just couldn't get settled, and she soon started to feel uncomfortable inside the house. She never did fully unpack her things. Shortly after they moved in, Chase's old childhood friend came to visit, the one with the shadow man that once walked behind her. She spent Christmas with Chase and Tian, and Chase had a great time visiting and catching up with her. The visit was perfectly normal, but then the townhouse was not normal when she left. In the days following her departure back to Atlanta, strange things started happening around Tian's home. One night when Tian woke up and went downstairs to get a drink of water, she looked around the kitchen, got an eerie feeling that something was behind her, Then as she walked back upstairs, she felt the presence return right behind her, breathing down her neck. Nothing was actually there, but she could feel someone, someone bad, a powerful feeling. Scared, she turned around, put her back up against the wall so nothing could sneak up on her, and stood there for a while, frozen in fear. Eventually the feeling passed, but Tian knew from that moment on that something wasn't right in her home. The next incident happened to Chase. Chase. Tian and Chase were walking into the house Arms full of groceries When as they entered the kitchen Chase suddenly dropped her bag Screamed and covered her face She couldn't talk She could only point her finger out in front of her Over there! Chase screamed Tian couldn't see anything But Chase swore that she saw a tall black shadow of a man Staring right at her with an evil look in his dark
1: eyes
0: It's just staring at me evil She told her mom nearing tears Tian later said You could just see the fear in her face Like she's not lying more time passed, now Chase started to talk about seeing a little girl in addition to this man. Once when Tian was standing at the bathroom counter, putting on her makeup, Chase was in the bathtub next to her. She saw Chase look off to the side, look startled, then quickly look away. When Tian asked her what was going on, Chase told her, It's a little girl standing right there outside the door. A nice little girl. It wasn't mean like the other one. Tian now getting more and more spooked, so is Chase. She soon has another encounter when she's standing in the bathroom alone. She feels a weird feeling, like something is with her. And then a deep male voice whispers, Come with me. Oh. Tian eventually starts to worry that Chase is cursed with some sort of ability to see things most people can't. While Tian then goes on tour, her mother stays at the townhouse with her granddaughter Chase. Oh boy. In the middle of the night, Tian's mother is woken up by the smell of gas filling the house. She runs to the kitchen, finds the stove turned on to high. She hadn't cooked anything all day. Neither had Chase. The stove hadn't been touched since Tian had left. It seemed as if someone had deliberately turned it on. A fiercely protective mother, this was the final straw for Tian. She now believed that whatever was in the house wanted to hurt them, and she packed up her family's things, and she got the fuck out. She said, I just didn't want to be there anymore. It wasn't a good place to be. Moved out and her mind clear, Tian thought about how all the problems started to occur directly after Chase's friend came to visit. They hadn't had any problems before, and then it was like a gateway it had been opened for spirits to travel into their house. And then Tian found out that Chase's friend and her mother had experienced paranormal events for years, uh, that there were so-called witches in her family. According to medium Kim Russo, Chase's friend had seen many dark things growing up that she shouldn't have seen. Kim said her family was entangled with darkness and that it was possible that some of that darkness had attached itself to her and she had brought the darkness into Tian's house where it attracted spirits that then haunted them. Soon after they moved out, Chase and his girl stopped being friends, actually. Chase was disturbed by what had happened to her, blamed her friend. This is when Kim Russo and the Haunting of team entered the picture. Tian wanted Kim to go to the house, see who or what was still living there and put an end to her nightmares. Inside the house, Kim felt a violent male energy. Kim said a spirit there had the personality of a nasty drunk and that he wanted vengeance or something. She said that he could sense that Tian was back and he was excited to feed off of her fear.
1: Oh, dear.
0: She also saw another spirit, a little girl in a blue dress. The little girl seemed playful and curious, a kind spirit. Most disturbingly, Kim smelled the phantom odor of gas around both of the spirits. She noted that Tian is a good-natured person who has a hard time telling people no. She said that the spirits could sense that. The male one wanted to use her energy because he knew she wouldn't try to cast them out of her house. Chase came to the house. Kim told Chase that the little girl's spirit was very drawn to her. The girl wanted to be an actress, which was also Chase's dream. The little girl actually used to live down the street, and she was drawn to Tian's house because of Chase. Kim told Tian and Chase that the male spirit was attached to the spirit of the little girl, and that wherever she appears, he appears as well, and that he was the one to turn on the stove. Kim then claimed she heard the sounds of gunshots, and that the little girl reached out to her and said, He shot me. He (gasps) killed me. She said the male spirit was the girl's father, and that the man had killed the little girl and also his wife. Kim then had a vision of the man lighting a match before putting a gun to his mouth to shoot himself.
1: Oh my god!
0: Kim told Tian and Chase that in order to get rid of the man, they had to be strong and confident to mean what they said. They had to tell him that they know what he did to his family and that they were not scared of him. Chase said, I think he needs to know that he's not welcome. We don't want him here and he needs to go away. Although they no longer live there, meeting Kim and standing up to the spirit brought Tian and Chase relief to know that they could go back to the townhouse without the violent presence of that spirit bothering them. And to know that the man's spirit would not follow them elsewhere, whatever Chase's friend had done to open up uh, them to that spirit world was done with was done now uh, was over with now. So who do these spirits belong to? It didn't take long for the production team to figure that out. Judith and Joseph barcy, and this is the terrible part okay. on july twenty seventh nineteen eighty eight Joseph Barcy murdered his ten year old daughter Judith and his wife Maria, in a nearby town home. He lit their bodies on fire, then killed himself afterwards. Oh, my God. Joseph was a real piece of shit. He was a verbally and physically abusive father and husband. He would threatened his daughter and wife for over five years before he finally did it. Maria tried to leave him on numerous occasions, but he always manipulated her in disdain or threatened her in disdain. He told her she wasn't going to f- get away from him alive, and he clearly had meant it. Judith was a popular child actress. Very popular, actually. She'd already starred in several different TV shows, over 50 commercials. She played Thea in Jaws 4. She'd made appearances in St. Elsewhere, Cagney and Lacey, Growing Pains, The Land Before Time, she was the voice of Ducky, and her last film, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Judith was terrified of her father. She'd complained to friends, I'm afraid to go home. My daddy is miserable. My daddy is drunk every day. I know he wants to kill my mother. No thoughts any child should obviously have. And then on July 27th, 830 a.m., Joseph did kill Judith's mother, then her, then shot. You know, he shot and killed them both, poured gasoline on them and then set them on fire before taking his own life.
1: My God. The
0: brutal crime shocked strangers and people who only knew Judith from work. Sadly, did not shock those who really knew the family. Was it really the ghost of Judith? who was attracted to Chase, drawn to another girl with a kind heart and dreams of acting? Does Joseph Barcy still haunt her even on the other side? Still trying to control her spirit? Did he haunt Tian and Chase because his daughter liked them? Why is he still here? Did Chase's friend open some kind of door that allowed his spirit and his daughters to contact them? What causes certain spirits to stay? What causes them to be attracted to certain people? Will we ever have definitive answers to questions like these? And finally, I just hope that Judah's spirit is not still being tormented by a monster who tormented her in life before he took her life.
1: That is, wow. That is a yeah. horrific story.
0: Yeah, a that horrific, is, horrific, mm-hmm.
1: real-life story.
0: And just, uh... Yeah, interesting. We don't come across that many stories tied to celebrities, not like intense haunting stories like this.
1: No, no. I feel like, ooh. This
0: was obviously, this was a televised, you know, a yeah, version of yeah, this was yeah. televised uh, several years ago.
1: I want to say that, oh, what's her face from the Queen's Gambit? Hmm. I think that, not when she was filming that, when she was filming something else, she stayed... In a castle or something, and I think some things happened. Mm-hmm. I, I could be making that up about what actress it is. Might be somebody else, but uh,
0: a few pictures.
1: Okay, and then I have some things I want to say.
0: Okay, first picture: old '90s promo shot of TLC after some Grammy wins. Hell
1: yeah! My TLC God. in their prime. You know what's crazy is that, like right now, mm-hmm. we're having a big like '90s, 90s fashion resurgence. throwback. Yeah, I mean, if somebody showed up to like the Grammys in that outfit right now, it would probably be like. Like Miley Cyrus, yeah, yeah, She'll be like, okay, you look awesome, and
0: that's Tian with the blonde hair there. Uh, yes, and then this next picture is Tian and her daughter Chase, M- oh. much more recent.
1: She has aged so beautifully, mm-hmm.
0: especially since she's been, you know, struggling with illness that you know is uh, yeah, uh, really led to, like, extended, havoc on your yeah, body, extended hospital stays and stuff. Yeah, good for her. This next one's medium, Kim Russo.
1: Hello, Kim. <laughs> Has she been on like a TLC show? Well,
0: she hosted this show that uh, Tian was on for like several years, and I she never might have been on others. The show
1: she just looks. Now, she I looks don't know. Familiar. Maybe, or maybe she just has that look. Like some people just have yeah. a face. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, this next one that poor child actress Judith Barsi.
1: Oh my God! Why she's so cute! I know,
0: so cute, so cute. And then one more oh picture. This is toddler uh, Judith with her terrible dad Joseph and mom Maria.
1: I fucking hate him. Oh yeah, he's
0: very hateable. He was a real piece of shit.
1: Yeah, he looks like a piece of shit. He actually does. He actually does. Mm-hmm. Are you going to show me a picture of Chili? Uh,
0: well, Chili was back a. Uh, no, no, Chili. Oh, like a oh, recent one? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have oh, a recent one there. Uh,
1: damn it. She does.
0: She looks almost exactly like she lo- looks in that promo shot for the 90s. I'm going to have to her go son. Look her. her son is a. Uh, Basketball player. No. Oh. Her son is starting to get into music. Oh, cool. Like just starting. And he, he's actually really talented. I mean, I, I almost feel bad sometimes when somebody's like their mom is or yes. dad is so famous because. Like, you know, I think people are going to be like, "Oh, well sure, your mom can help you." But like he's legitimately really talented and I'm blanking on his name. I want to say like Tron or something. But uh but I just watched an interview with the two of them on some show. Cool. And like the the hostess was just, you know, like like blown away, with which she was like, How? "How? How do you, do you, look look you? Like that? right? Right?" Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cuz she was kind of known for her abs in the group yes. too. She'd always like be showing her yes. abs and just like ripped six-pack. She still yes. has it.
1: Well, I think once you have it, it's always easier to keep it than but to get it. But it's
0: got to be a lot of work as you're getting older
1: yeah well she's a really small framed person probably just eats well and works out like if you she just, said that if you're you just consistent yeah care of yourself. Like up down up down yeah yep. okay well i have a few quick little notes i was mm-hmm. thinking about if you like you know how sometimes you meet one of your kids friends and you're like i don't like that kid oh yeah i have you ever met one of our like kids friends and like thought like spooky feelings Mm, i've
0: I've had, <laughs> I've met some of their friends in the past that I didn't like, mm-hmm. um, and, and they kind of like okay. creep me out. But I don't, but, but I don't know if it was because of spooky. Oh, I'm thinking we... of one in particular. I don't, who I won't say, done the show because I don't want it to ever get back to them.
1: Okay, well you can tell me later.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you later.
1: So curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking of even just like it's
0: more of a feeling of like, oh, this kid's trouble. Yeah, and I will say this kid has gone on to become a little bit of trouble.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. I wonder if we're thinking of the same person.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I was thinking about like kids in our kids' classes, not even necessarily friends. Mm. Where I'm like, okay, you give me the heebie-jeebies. And there's one kid in particular that I'm like, you, you actually kind of creep me out. Not like, not like I think you're going to be uh, pregnant at 16 or a drug addict, but like, you give me the fucking creeps.
0: Oh, there's there's a kid that's not yeah one of their friends in one of their classes that I'm like, oh, you're going to be in prison. For a violent crime.
1: Yes. And, okay. and
0: people can, be like, judge you for, like, oh, how, how do you think about a little kid? Every fucking monster that we've ever talked about and every true crime thing, whatever, mm-hmm. were kids once. And some of them were creepy fucking kids.
1: Right. And, and listen, kids—now, little kids—are yeah. kind of inherently creepy because they sure. say weird things and they're, you mm-hmm. know, like, unaware of their body or they are pre— uh, not predisposed. What's the word I want? They are more open to the supernatural. So yeah. like your mom is still telling a story about how one time Kyler spent the night at her house and he said he had just watched Scooby-Doo and then they were going downstairs and he was like, a ghosta, Like, right? Like <laughs> yeah, your mom yeah. is still, uh, that terrifies her. Uh-huh. And little kids are creepy like that. Sure. This is, I'm not talking yeah, about different. that. Okay. Well, I just was curious. And then I just thought, like, ironically, you have a story about, Fire mm-hmm. and a medium, and I also have a story about fire and a medium. Oh, weird. Two it's Separate. Yeah. But, okay. okay. Interesting. And then I just, I feel the need to give this, like, small PSA, because what- Yes,
0: ha- and I'm actually regretting that I didn't put the number in the episode, but yeah.
1: No, I mean, like, listen, everywhere you live, every person, yeah. uh, uh, you would just be surprised at who- is living through a domestic violence situation. And I think because I can speak to it from my own experiences, it's just, it can look so perfect on the outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I spend a lot of time working with Safe Passage here in Coeur Mm d'Alene, but there is a version of that Everywhere.
0: And if you just Google domestic violence hotline. Yes. Uh, the problem. It,
1: it, yes. Yes. But the problem with that is that if you are in the situation. Okay. Your significant other is probably checking your text messages, che- checking your search history. Mm. So, like, you are always looking for a safe way for someone to help you. And so, like, I know, again, referencing safe passage, but. If you are someone who's in like a healthy relationship and you're wondering, like, God, what could I do? I don't have a lot of time or I don't have a lot of resources. Oftentimes those places will have like little business cards that you can leave in bathrooms everywhere you go because you never know when someone might be in that bathroom. Yeah. And they will see that card and they will be able to like memorize that phone number or, you know, find a way to use that information to get themselves out. And then that little kid, it's like when a kid fucking says like my dad is a lunatic my dad it's mm-hmm. like take it take it seriously. seriously yeah sometimes it's nonsense right okay like we look, joke look around into with, it. yeah when I mean, we joke around with our kids in very inappropriate ways mm-hmm. right we say ridiculous things our kids are not 3 and 4 when a, especially a little kid mm-hmm. who doesn't have the capacity to explain things in a detailed sort of concise way that you're going to take it seriously mm-hmm. you got and like i don't know somebody comes to work male or female it's not Domestic violence is not only against women. True, true. And that is a stereotype that I wish we could really fucking do away with. Yeah. Because domestic violence towards men is real and it is also real towards little kids that are mm-hmm. boys. So, like, mm-hmm. it's not just their dads or moms roughhousing with them. Like, just be aware. Yeah. Ask the questions and don't be afraid. Listen, it's better off to ask and have your friend be annoyed with you than to say, like, I was trying to tell you, but I didn't know how to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: in, in, uh, and I will say incognito browsing. You can on your phone. You can like uh, yes. You can tap your uh, if you have an iPhone. You can just tap this, and, and there's an equivalence for every I'm uh, sure. computer system. That, that, yeah, I won't even go into the steps. But, there, but there's a way if you just even talk to somebody, they'll just be like, "Oh yeah, you just push this button, this button. No one can trace that you're like what you're yeah. searching on so an iPhone. You, you, it's like
1: the bottom right hand corner. You yeah. hit the square, and then you tap private, and you can. Yeah,
0: that's li- it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then and then you can exit out and it is not in your search history. Yep. And on all computers, you can clear a search history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. um, Yeah. Okay. Well, it has to be said. Yep. yep. It has to be said. Right. And through COVID, it was like, woo, domestic right. violence went through the roof. Yeah. You know, trapped at home with.
0: Yeah. With the Joseph Barcy's of the world.
1: Well, yeah, and it's like, and and the last year and a half has been inherently more stressful, as we all know. So I think that also, and I don't have the stats on it, and I couldn't prove it to you right now, but I would bet that people who were never like that uh, lost their jobs, began mm, drinking yeah. more.
0: Their stress went way up, and mm-hmm. they didn't handle it well.
1: Right, right. It just, things can, can pop up. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to that scary thing, yeah, yeah, into something else. Well, I'm going to give you like a little bit of a light-hearted story. Okay. So we'll we'll lighten it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Okay. Palette cleanser. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, okay. So last week we talked about crystals, which I know you're not crazy about, and now I think I like that
0: story though a lot. That it was, was, a, good, a, good that was a good story.
1: Okay. Well, now we're going to talk about a medium, which you just talked about, but also mm-hmm. maybe not like something that you really super believe in.
0: No, but, but but I will say, again, kind of like with um, ghosts. I mean, I am open to people being able to be mediums, mm-hmm. but think that most mediums out there claiming to be mediums are con artists. I,
1: I think you're going to love this story okay. because the author says just as much. Okay. Okay, so what I think is that it's like somebody who's coming into it from the perspective that you would probably have, mm-hmm. fighting it, resisting it, as opposed mm-hmm. to being open to it, and then it's like, okay. Interesting, Hmm. And it's a really sweet, really sweet palate cleanser. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. My name is Neil. And my girlfriend, who is a peeper, introduced me to the show while driving home from a little road trip. Ever since, I've been obsessed. That's just the creeper in me. And I quickly got through the back catalog and can't listen fast enough every week. As far as I know, I have only had this one experience in my life when I can truly say I can't explain how or what happened. A little backstory. Before I was born, my mom was diagnosed with a glioblastoma, brain cancer. Mm. Even today, this diagnosis has a very short life expectancy after catching it. Fortunately, my mom lived for a little over five years, during which time I was born. She passed away shortly after my first birthday. For a few years, it was just my dad and I until he met my now stepmom. They met when I was four and quickly remarried. The incoming side of the family was quite large. I gained three new siblings, a load of cousins, and more aunts and uncles. This new family needed a new, larger home to move into. We were fortunate enough to be able to keep the home I was raised in and rent it out while our larger brood moved into a bigger place. Life went on, and eventually I entered high school. During my freshman year, one of my new uncles was diagnosed with advanced liver disease and moved into the basement of our current home. He was in need of constant care. It became a whole family effort to support him while we waited for transplant. It took a real emotional toll on my stepmom, who was primarily taking care of him. Mm -hmm. Before he was able to get a transplant, he took a turn for the worse and rather quickly passed away. The suddenness of his decline broke my stepmom. We all were coping, but she was really struggling with losing someone so fast and someone so close to her. After a few months or so of grieving, she decided to seek some new form of closure and go see a medium. Even at a younger age, I was very skeptical of this. I had read a few blurbs on cold reading and felt like she may just be told something she already knew and wanted to hear. But if it meant she had some comfort, I wasn't going to speak my mind or discourage it. My stepmom returned from the reading and almost instantly the mood around our house changed. She was back to work and things started to feel normal again almost like a fog had been lifted. I still don't know what that medium said at this reading, but it made quite the impression. Like I mentioned, I had always been a little more on the skeptical side of mediums and psychic readings. But with such a great example staring me in the face, I grew curious. I waited a while, but eventually, without anyone in the family noticing, I made my way into the same shop that my stepmom had gone and saw the same person. My reading went fine. They were able to pick up on the loss of my mother with a little guidance and went through the basics. She's watching over you. She wants you to know she's proud. It wasn't until the last thing I was told that I started to think a little bit more deeply about what was said. I was told to, quote, look for the light. It struck me as odd. I thought maybe it was re- a religious thing, but neither my family nor I were very religious, so that seemed unlikely. I thought maybe readings don't work every time, and this one must have been off. Maybe not everyone could have such a great experience like my stepmom. Time passed, and I slowly started to forget about the reading. I was growing up and in high school, and my mind was on many other things. That spring, money was starting to get tight around our house, and my parents decided it was time to sell the house that we were renting out, the one that I had been raised in as a young child, and where my mother had passed away. Selling a house means renovations and a lot of work to get it in shape to appeal to buyers. Luckily, my parents had a small army with four teenagers to bring over and use as their personal construction crew. <laughs> one night it was just my stepmom and I, and one night it was just my stepmom and I left at the house. We had just finished up some of the last touch-up painting and then the house was basically ready to go to market. It was about 11 pm and we had just locked up the front door and we were walking to the car. We got in and we both looked straight at the front of the house when a light turned on. It was one of the bedrooms on the second floor. My first bedroom. My mom was the one, uh, my mom, wait, sorry. My first bedroom. My mom was one of the bed, had one of the bedrooms on the second floor. My mom turned to me and said, did you see what happened? You left a light on, right? I said, no, I hadn't been painting in that room at all. My stepmom now had a little chatter in her voice, but she said, "Uh, could you go please turn that light off? I took the keys from her hands and walked towards the front door. I looked up the, I looked up at the window again and saw the light still shining out of the dark. I unlocked the front door and swung it wide open. The house was dark and silent. I felt the hairs on my neck and arms raise, and I swear it felt like I had electricity flowing through me. I looked back, and my stepmom was watching me intensely, gripping the steering wheel. I entered and moved up the stairs to my old room i was so young at the time when my dad and i lived there that i always felt like this house wasn't a part of my childhood now so more than ever the door to my room was closed i quickly approached it in partial darkness as the stairwell light didn't cover much of the hallway i opened the door and the room was empty the light switch was far enough away that i had to fully step into the room once i was inside i felt strange the hairs on my neck and arms laid back down and I felt suddenly surrounded by a weird warmth. Any anxiety or worry that I had just, been, had just had that had been so sharp in my mind instantly fell away. I reached for the light switch and paused. Something wanted that moment to last just a bit longer. The pause didn't last long enough and I flipped the light out. I turned to return downstairs to the car when I heard a very cleared, Love you. I was wow. already in motion, though, and hurriedly back down the hall, flicking the lights, switches, and closing the front door as I left the house. I got back in the car and asked my mom, Hey, did you call for me while I was in there? She said, No. I just sat here. Why? I brushed off the question and said there must be an electrical issue with the house, as there was nothing else in there. We drove on, both knowing that it wasn't a great explanation, but it worked for the moment. I never told my stepmom about visiting the medium after she did, and I've only mentioned the voice once. Maybe it's a pride thing, not wanting to fully admit the strange circumstances as to what had happened. I don't know. I still remember how calm that room felt, how I had a sudden feeling of attachment to that place that I had virtually no memories of, only the occasional landlord trip. Since then, I haven't experienced anything else that has felt anywhere near as strange. I think this is a good example that maybe not all paranormal things are bad. Maybe some are comforting when you're in a volatile time in your life.
0: So that was what the media meant by the light. I
1: think so. Mm-hmm. So cool. That was a very cool story. I know. Mm-hmm. Very sweet. Very sweet. Very sweet. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Very. I interesting. Like a little teary. huh. I know. I yeah. know.
1: But very cool. Okay. So, moving into the actual scary stuff. Okay. okay. I like that one though. Yeah, it's good. It's good for mm-hmm. us to remember that it isn't. It doesn't have to be all. Bad stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's good to throw those little sprinkles in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now this will be the third time that we've heard from a missionary.
0: Oh, yeah, LDS missionary? Okay, yes, yeah. I'm
1: so into it. And I personally, like one of the things that I love about, does she smell so good? Mm-hmm. Do you wish that that was like my perfume? No, it would
0: be weird as a perfume. It would? it's good for that this little squishy. like fishy.
1: gingerbread or chocolate? Mm,
0: it's gingerbread-ish.
1: Monroe has this like chocolate lotion that I loathe and that's mm, it, it it is has that, like, it has that fake mm. chocolate smell. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had a chocolate chapstick, that's what it reminds oh, me funny. of. Oh, mm, funny. Gross. Anyways, I think part of like what I really enjoy about these missionary stories is that it's coming from someone who believes so deeply in their religion. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like they believe so much in the good of religion. Like they, they generally aren't seeking out. The negative. They're not looking for devil worship. They're not looking for Ouija boards because they're like, no, like this things are so pure and good, and I believe in God, and God will repel all of that, and I don't need to seek it out. Yeah. So like, it sits with me in a different kind of way, almost okay. like a um a different level of validity, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know. And but then I dug deeper on that thought, and like, could it be possible that people who are devoutly religious are actually more susceptible to hauntings or things from the other side because it's like if the devil's job or if a spirit's job is to dissuade you of your beliefs, Mm -hmm. then like wouldn't you go after the most religious people?
0: And they're less skeptical of the spiritual world. I mean, they're firm believers in the spiritual world. I mean, so like spirits, ghosts, all that kind of stuff, uh, they're going to be extremely open to that.
1: Right. Because that's all religion. Mm -hmm. I I mean-
0: yeah, it's connected. Yeah, you can call it's it what connected. you want. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Faith and things you can't prove.
1: Yeah. So I love this story because this is a story of an elder who got more than he bargained for when he decided to not pray to God, but to pray to Satan. Wow. That's very interesting. That's
0: interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, Lindsay and Dan, I've been a huge fan of Dan's comedy since high school that's oh, nice. I, I know.
0: It doesn't make you feel old. I know, especially if she's like, I've been a huge fan of dance comedy since uh, high school. Now my two kids are at the house.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the first episodes of Scared to Death that I watched had a story that came from a missionary for the LDS church, which made me excited. I'm a recently returned missionary myself, and I have to say paranormal mission stories are my favorite. It's such an untapped fountain of spooks, but not a lot of people want to talk about it because it affected them in such a bad way. I served my mission in Ghana, West Africa. COVID brought me back to the States where I finished my service as a missionary in Washington State. Both mission experiences were incredible and both had some interesting stories to tell. Even for me, I can't say everything that happened because it would be a mockery of the sacredness of some subjects within my faith. But I had unique experiences with fetish priests and witch doctors in Ghana, Mm. and the lingering effects of a missionary who summoned dark spirits in an apartment years ago. But these stories are not nearly as interesting as the one my father told me when he served his mission in New England back in the 80s. My father has only told me this story twice, and both times he became very somber and uncomfortable, saying a prayer to himself afterwards. He wasn't even there, but he was still shaken that it happened so close to him and to someone that he knew. Now, going all the way back to the mid-80s, my father had a companion, Elder Bradshaw, who transferred to another area up north. The next time he saw him, months later, he wasn't the same and told him the following story. Elder Bradshaw and his companion, Elder Keefe, were in the middle of nowhere. Not a lot of people around and not a lot of people to teach or to find to teach, so they were left with study. Lots of scripture study. This led them to the study of what we call in the church, deep doctrine, a sort of pseudo-theology, personal theories that meld into their faith. This can be dangerous because it distracts from what is important and can lead to false teachings. If you want an example of this, ask most Latter-day Saints what they think about dinosaurs, and they'll give you wildly different theories and opinions. Hmm. Elder Keefe was particularly interested in the topic of spirits and what power they actually have in the physical world. He was confused and wanted to know as much as he could. He was desperate to have an answer wherever he could find it. Elders Bradshaw and Keefe were having one of their regular interviews with the mission president. These interviews are for the missionary and mission president to get to know one another and better discern the individual missionary's needs. When I was a missionary, I looked forward to these every time, and two mission presidents that I had are some of my best friends. Elder Keith thought maybe his mission president would have the answers he was seeking. He wanted to know, what power do spirits actually have over us? His mission president did not give him a satisfying answer and simply told him to focus on the scriptures and what they tell him. But that wasn't enough for this elder. He had to know for sure. A couple of days later, Elder Keefe and Elder Bradshaw were at their apartment. Elder Keefe went into their room by himself to pray, but he wasn't praying to God. His ultimate question was to know how much power the devil has. He prayed to Satan. He -hmm. asked his questions and he received his answer. The door was shut, but Elder Bradshaw heard a loud crash and a shout coming from the bedroom. He rushed over to see if his companion was okay. Elder, Elder, he shouted while pounding on the door. You know, wooden doors normally have a little bit of give to them if you push or pound them hard enough. And according to Elder Bradshaw, the door was as if it were made of stone. It was cold and had no give to it. Regardless, he continued to try and force his way in. From where he was, it sounded like there was a struggle between two people and Elder Keefe was losing, badly. There should have been no one else in there since it was only the two of them that lived there. He heard more crashes, banging, and shouting. Tears filled Elder Bradshaw's eyes as he could not get to his companion and friend. After only a few minutes of this, it all stopped, and the door returned to its normal state of being. He forced his way in, breaking the door jamb, and found their bedroom, utterly destroyed. Their beds were flipped, holes in the walls, their large dresser was cracked like an anvil had been dropped on it, and glass from the mirror in the corner littered the floor. Elder Keefe was on the floor, barely moving. His body was broken and bruised, covered in cuts and scrapes. His nice white shirt stained red and torn in places. He was barely responsive. Elder Bradshaw immediately called his mission president who directed him to call the police. Elder Keefe was sent home early from service due to the injuries he sustained and a supposed psychotic breakdown. That's the story the police were spinning anyways. There was no sign of a break-in and no evidence showing signs of a second person in the room. Elder Keefe did this to himself, believing he was attacked by the devil or some other spirits. As for the rest of the missionaries, they were all told he had some emotional issues that he had to deal with, and it was best for him to return home to recover. When my father saw Elder Bradshaw again, he asked what really happened. He told my dad the same story I've told you, saying there was no way in heaven nor hell that mm-hmm. his companion did that to himself. Not that he wouldn't do it, but that he couldn't have done it. The damage to the room and the injuries he sustained were inflicted by someone or something else. I met Elder Bradshaw a few times when my father had visited him, when he had visited my father, and after my father told me the story, he advised me that to bring it up to him and ask the story for the story myself. I was brave and asked once. Big mistake. He wouldn't look at me for the rest of the visit. Elder Keefe asked a dangerous question. Believe what you want, but I think the devil gave him his answer. Thanks for reading. Also, I know you're going to ask. So, a fetish priest is a part of an old West African faith which practices idol worship, fetishes, and performs animal sacrifices. It's a dying religion, and I was lucky to be able to meet a few remaining priests of this practice. Wow,
0: yeah, that's a wild, wild story. Wild <laughs> about inviting something in and having to be way more than you. I'm obviously we're thinking.
1: Yeah, I I was fascinated by that story. Mm-hmm. And it, it just kind of. Uh, it wasn't like he had, like, some portal. I guess that's, like, maybe what I got hung up on. It wasn't like he had a Ouija board, or at least not the way no, it's told. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like through pure conjuring.
0: Right. Just goading, Yeah, yeah. Just asking to see something, and then sometimes it shows up.
1: Oh, careful what you
0: ask for. Mm-hmm. I know that is an interesting thing, where it's like, you know, I get very skeptical in moments, and uh <laughs> you could, like, jokingly ask something— I mean, but what a crazy thing if you really were like, come on, you know, like show yourself. Oh, oh my good Lord. <laughs> and then your room, like like the environment around you just completely transformed into mayhem.
1: Holy crap. Yeah. I know because it's, it's almost like, in my mind, asking for it like in prayer to me is no difference than asking for it like in a seance. And mm-hmm. what I'm thinking of are those two girls that did that seance in front of the mirror yes. at their house yes. and then the thing yeah. falling across the ceiling. Ugh. It's like... You're you're seeking out to bring something in no matter the medium with which you do it. Mm-hmm. So the results will typically be the same mm-hmm. if you encounter it, if it comes through to you.
0: I know. It is such an, it is such a fascinating thing. I've watched so many horror movies, and I've heard, obviously, so many of these stories. That every once in a while, a part of me is like, oh, man, that would be so cool to see such definitive activity. But then – in the moment, if that did happen, I highly doubt you're thinking like, this is awesome. uh,
1: This is so great. I'm
0: so glad I did this.
1: I can't wait to tell my family about this.
0: (laughs) Right? You're just like, please. Please make it stop. Please (laughs) make it stop. Please let it be over. Yeah. I'll never do it again.
1: Maybe that's why it's even more disturbing when it happens when you're not asking for it. Because at least when you're seeking it out, it's like you're going in with eyes wide open that, Something could happen, mm-hmm. but when it happens at random, it feels more intrusive and invasive. It's like I'm fucking ask for this shadow yeah, man. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. hi,
1: yeah, yeah, hi, yeah,
0: yeah. Good one.
1: But I guess if you believe in miracles, if you think that that is possible, if you think that you can pray enough for someone to be cured of cancer or to mm-hmm. survive a tragic accident, why can't you pray yourself into connecting with the devil?
0: Right, I mean, if you're going to believe, Yin I mean, uh, on and, and the Judeo-Christian, you know, kind of Abrahamic religion, like miracle concept, mm-hmm. then that means mele- believes. Excuse me. That means you believe in a uh, a God that has a counterpart, in a sense mm-hmm. of uh, a Satan yeah. figure, and so that means that if you can, you know, contact the one, you can contact the other.
1: One hundred percent, and it sounds like that's what he was out to prove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting thing where, like a. Uh a curious mind can really be such a tormented thing to have in life,
0: yeah, there's some quotes uh that I want to say it's like be be careful if you stare into the abyss, like something like like the abyss mm. will stare back mm-hmm. um ah, there's something uh, mm-hmm. a quote in that ballpark that's yeah. about that mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a never-ending rabbit hole, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Or if you call out into the abyss, like, what might call back? Yeah, oh, I think back, that's it. Yeah.
1: Ha. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, okay, so I mentioned that I also had a story about fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get into my fire story. It's so weird. These two people have the same dream, but don't tell—the first person who has the dream doesn't tell the second person. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, what? And it all kind of comes together and it's like, oh, can your dreams really predict something that's going to happen? Mm. Have you ever had a dream never and then had, had it come?
0: No, I've never had like really? a premonition. Yeah, Never? Not a dream. Not that I can think of. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. Huh.
1: Okay. No. Maybe I'm more in touch with that side than- You've had those? Yeah. Especially when I was younger. Hmm. Uh My cousin, Ross, so my aunt Joyce's son- Yeah. So tragic, so sad, killed by a drunk driver, Mm -hmm. but I had a horrific dream about someone in my family dying the day before he died, and then like that night, we got the phone call, it was awful, and then before both of my grandparents died, I had dreams about them dying, Hmm. but then, I don't know, maybe it's like, maybe I was, well, we know that I'm I'm an empath, so it's like I am sensitive to those things, but you know, you just like, I don't know, you grow out of it, or if you, like anything, you don't nurture it,
0: Mm -hmm. it just goes
1: away. That's not something I necessarily wanna nurture.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Not unless
1: they're like, and you're gonna win the lottery.
0: Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't want to have those dreams. I
1: only want to have premonition dreams that are really good good. stuff. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. like so much money, like uh, beautiful vacations, live forever,
0: Everyone's safe. Yeah, yeah,
1: all those things. I love how immediately went to money. With money, I can keep everyone alive and safe. Okay, okay, -hmm. Okay. all right, Uh, okay. Well, let's check out this like weird haunted house dream fire situation. This is a true story that happened when I was about nine or 10. In all fairness, I was that horror kid that loved watching anything and everything horror related, but I swear this did not take away from what actually happened. I simply had an active imagination like any other kid. When I was at my own home, I never had ill feelings or that uncomfortable chill that I got when I was at my other mother's house. She was my mom's best friend, and her kids grew up to be like my older siblings. She had three kids at the time whose ages were 4, 13, and 16. The 13-year-old, small, was my best friend. I would stay the night in his room during sleepovers. I only got these heavy, dreadful feelings when I would be in their kitchen and dining room, which were separated by a wall and connected by an open door frame. The kitchen gave me feelings like a dark energy was silently watching, and it didn't have to be nighttime either. It could be the brightest, sunniest day, and I would still rather go all the way to the front door than go through the kitchen to get to the back door. About a week before the house caught fire, I had this horrible dream. I was lying in bed in Small's room and got very thirsty. I got up, sleepily, and walked out of the room and into the dining room. It was pitch black, so I had to shuffle my feet to move forward because that's the universal walking in the dark precaution. I got to the kitchen and turned on the light as quickly as I could because I was feeling that deep anxious feeling you get when you feel like you're being stalked. I noticed when I turned the light on, everything had this slightly lime green hue. I walked up to the kitchen counter where there was a window so I could fill my cup with water from the tap. When I looked out the window, there was a man that wasn't a man. He had an all-white face, as if someone took a skull and put a piece of white fitted cloth around it, but the eyes were a charcoal black and the mouth was shadowed. I didn't run. I didn't do anything. I simply squeezed my eyes shut and hyperventilated, till, the feeling uh, still feeling those eyes on me. I sat up the rest of the night until Vic, the 16-year-old, got up for the day and I asked him to take me home. I didn't tell anyone about the man in my dream because I knew they would think I'm silly for getting so worked up about a dream. The next weekend, I wanted to stay home because I was still so freaked out by the dream I'd had. Unfortunately, that left small to deal with this smoky, white-faced man. He fell asleep like any other night, but had a dream that changed the way he and his family looked at their house. In the dream, he said, he woke up terribly thirsty. He walked through the dining room and into the kitchen. "'He flipped the light on, and before he could get a chance to grab a drink, "'he saw a man in the window. "'The room was filled with a green hue of light. "'He locked eyes and found a sinister smile on this smoky, white-faced man. "'Without missing a beat, he turned around to go and get his mom and stepdad from their room. "'Upon entering the living room, he looked over and saw the white-faced man in the room with him, "'crouching behind the sofa, still maintaining eye contact. "'Small watched him as the man... As the man's hand lit a fire to the couch with just the touch of his fingers. The smoke captivated his lungs and he shot up, coughing. He realized the smoke never left his dream. He sprung into action and woke up Mm. his mom, awoke his siblings, and they evacuated the house. During the fire investigation, which ended up being very minor, they all stayed with my family in our house. Later that night, Small went through the beginning stages of telling us what happened that had caused him to wake up without the sound of the smoke detectors. He started on about the dream. He was so thirsty, and as soon as he said it, I knew it was the same dream I'd had. That thirst was like sleeping open-mouthed after having the worst cotton mouth of your life. I interrupted him and spoke of the green hue and the smoky, white-faced man for my dream all of our jaws dropped, with the exception of my father. He could care less and thought there, and thought there was just this was just because some movie we must have watched together. He believed there had to be a good reason as to why the fire started. What was most unsettling of all is that the fire was caused by an unknown reason. No foul play, no gas, it wasn't electrical, not even an unattended candle. The fire department just couldn't understand how the couch had caught on fire in the living room. Another oddity is that one of is that not one of the fire detectors went off. The fire department checked every single one after the fact and said they were all in working order. They might not have known what started that fire, but we sure as hell did. Kaylee.
0: Kaylee. Yeah, that's an interesting one that uh, obviously where she didn't tell this small uh, mm-hmm. kid about her dream. That, whoa, easy.
1: Sorry about that, guys.
0: <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> That they had the, yeah, the same dream, and then obviously, like, with the fire and everything. Yeah, that's a very, very bizarre, I don't want to say coincidence, but if it was a coincidence, that's a weird one.
1: I mean, what are the odds? Right,
0: exactly. The odds are
1: so small. I don't ever feel like I ever talk to someone who's like, oh, yeah, I had that dream, too. <laughs> right. but that, That's never happened to me. Right. And I'm a, that I used to be a figure. very uh, vivid dreamer. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Remember like all those, t- I would have the craziest dreams for yeah, a while. Go, yeah,
0: you go through spurts of having all kinds of crazy dreams.
1: Yeah. All quiet on the dream front right now.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel like, I, I mean, maybe this has nothing to do with it, but I feel like the last couple of years, I just been, when I hit the bed, I'm so tired.
1: I'm so jealous that you just that like. just out. You, it's so enviable. Because <laughs> I lie there, I lie there, I lie on my back, I lie on my left side, I lie on my right side, I lie on my back, I lie on my side, so- mm. for like an hour.
0: I'm usually out within a minute.
1: I mean, I've been doing better with my meditation thing. I should take it back. It's not like that every night. But I'm a Mm -hmm. fidgety sleeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not you. My favorite thing, though, that you do in your sleep... Is it so you do move in your sleep and sometimes you lie on your back with like your knees up? Like I can't understand. Oh, yeah. how a I've never person, woken up
0: like that. I, I don't know. I'm,
1: like you sleep like this, like with like your knees like up. And I'm like, what how is that called? On my back? Yeah, you're on your back. So I've oh, yeah, said that before. am on my back and like your legs are up like this. So I never
0: fall asleep like that and I never no, wake up don't. like that. So I don't know what's going on.
1: It's bizarre. And you're so um antsy, just like you're always like bouncing your leg in life. Mm. You do it in your sleep and I it, do? Yes. Hmm. I used to when we first started dating, I thought you had restless leg syndrome. But it's not that. It could be like your hand. It, it, you're just, I don't And you're probably dreaming and you're not recalling yeah, I, I, your dreams. Yeah, you just not remember them yet. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe your dreams are stressful.
0: Oh, man. Maybe I've been having like nightmares all these all these years and I just don't remember them.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Do it's you want to, oh, sorry. No, you um, go ahead. Do you want to do your Annabelle shout outs first or should I? Uh, I'll do them first. Okay, we'll have had it, Dan. Well, thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome, sir.
0: Uh, I want to thank the following Annabelles for uh, supporting our show here. I want to thank Mandy Oglesby, Deborah Strimple, Mike Johns, David White, Jason Smith, Colton Cochran, Tony Foster, Ashley Gorman, Alexandra Flettas, Gabby Barton, Adam Roberts, April Clark, James Lucchesi, Ali Alu, or Ali Alu, the Hudson House. Oh, interesting. Uh, April Hayes.
1: That's a whole family, the Hudson
0: House. The Hudson House. Thank you. There is. A, oh, there's in Spokane, Washington. I feel like there's a charity, like a charitable. Um home called something very similar to the Hudson House. Oh. Hud House. I, I can't remember. Uh, April Hayes, Sydney, Caitlin Bach, Chandler Daniel, Kelly Marie Perez Cruz, Jesse Cooper, Carrie Love, Owen McKay, Ronald Ramsdell, and simply the letter
1: S. Is it the Hamilton House?
0: Nope. Oh, I can't think of It's it. going
1: to drive me. High. <laughs> I can picture it. Okay, well, we'll figure it out later. I would like to thank the following Annabelles more than Dan thanked his Annabelles. Ooh, yes, I'm gonna up my game. Justin Wright, Andrew Williams, Casey, no last name. Trevor Steels, Alexis Allen, Alex Badger, Lydia, no last name. Lady Cryptid, Zachariah Eans, Tanya Holloway, Eric Wilkinson, Cat Wolf, Justin Yokum, Ty Teribo, Texas, no last name. Danny, no last name. Tim Kerrigan, Kurt, no last name. Lindsey Coon, Kelly, also no last name. No last names this episode. <laughs> e. Ted, Lisa Moss, Matthew Maynard, Lindsey Dykes, Savannah Stock, and Tyler Hudson.
0: Uh, thank all of you very much for supporting us uh, here.
1: Yay, I thank you the most.
0: And that is all for today. Thank <laughs> you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at You can email us for everything else, info at Thank you to Logan Keith on social media and badmagicmerch.com merch design, or for that. Uh, store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Thanks to Sarah Finch for finding the first story uh, of the Seven Gates of Hell. And thanks to Olivia Lee for finding that TLC-centric second story. I love it. If you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus content, check out our Patreon. Do it. Do it.
1: Just get over there.
0: Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death.
1: Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their
0: powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within. Scared to death. Bad Magic Productions